I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 68, in which I create a holiday gift list for you. And this is the second version of this, because something tragic happened to the first version after I posted it, and it completely disappeared. Um, I've been working with a new podcasting software, because frankly, Audacity was working my very last nerve after about five years of using it. And uh, I decided to try out a new software, really liked it in the demo, went ahead and purchased it. And now I'm really, really struggling with it. It is bugging me. But I think it's just a learning curve thing, and I think I'll figure it out because every software has its quirks. And apparently I keep running into this this uh, software's quirks. I'm not going to name the software yet. I'm going to wait until I decide whether I'm going to win or it's going to win, and then I'll let you know. Um, I also apologize, you're getting some background noise because I am in my office with both of my dogs who are occupied with peanut butter Kongs, but you may be able to hear some, you know, doggy peanut butter noises and their little collars jingling and stuff like that in the background. I really apologize. Typically, I try to get rid of all extraneous background noise, but at the moment, I need to keep them in the office for with me for the time being for other reasons, so um, that's just going to be the way it is. I'm also going to do a shorter version of this podcast episode. I'm not going to put as much information in it as was in the original one, because I really want to get it up and posted. Um, I'm actually recording this on Wednesday, November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving. I have already baked an apple pie, two loaves of pumpkin bread, and prepared another pie crust. Uh, ready for a chocolate cream pie tomorrow. And uh, I've still got the stuffing to do and the butternut squash to do, but I decided I would really need to, you know, just kind of sit for a little bit um, because, you know, I'm at an age now where being on my feet all day is not a happy thing. <laughs> so I'm uh, just kind of taking a little bit of a break, trying to knock this out so I can get it reposted so that those of you who still have day left today and might be uh, listening to some podcasts will have something to listen to. And besides, I have a couple of time-constrained announcements I want to make sure I get done before tomorrow. So here we are trying again. Um Okay, back to episode 68. Uh, first, I'm going to do a Sandy update, then I'm going to do my few announcements, then I'm going to do one product review, and then I am going to talk about my favorite book reads of 2011, and I'll explain that a little bit later, and then some ideas for gifts of the quilting kind for your loved quilt makers in your life. Okay, Sandy update. Um, I now have both of my Christmas gift quilts. Or I've got three Christmas gift quilts all together. One is completely done. The other two are now both off to the long armor. I got my niece's quilt, um, the top of it done and the backing ready uh, in time to drop it off to the long armor at her workplace on Monday. So that is now with her and she thinks she's going to have them both back to me actually next week. So that gives me this weekend to work on anything else I want to get done before <laughs> those come home to roost. And I have to focus on getting the bindings on both of those again. Um, 
the one my niece's quilt probably won't take me that long to get the bindings on because you cut the strip for the binding at the same time as you cut the rest of the pieces so that's already ready to go i've just got to put the binding on there the other one my nephew's quilt i am actually going to have to cut the strips for the binding i've got some leftover backing fabric i believe from it plus i know i'll end up with extra from the quilt itself the backing that was there and typically what i do is cut the strips off the backing, you know, the leftover when I square up the quilt and trim off the excess, and then I use that leftover backing for binding. So I'm going to um, be working on that next week. Meanwhile, uh, just a word about my niece's quilt. It was a very quick um, pattern to put together. It was one of the Five Yard Quilts series. I believe it was number 506 or 536. I don't... When I recorded this episode the first time, I actually had the pattern next to me and I gave you all the specific information. The specific information is in the show notes to this episode. I don't have it here, um, but it is the Five Yard Quilt series. This particular pattern was very quick to put together and it was a nice pattern to feature kind of a large print because one of the squares, one of the blocks was basically something like a seven or a seven and a half inch square that then you put a couple of borders on one side of it to make the block. And uh, so it was a nice um, pattern to feature, you know, really pretty larger print. There's only two cautions I would say about this project. And the first was the pattern itself, although, you know, easy enough for me to follow um, as a quilter of some experience, did kind of assume you knew how to do an awful lot of stuff. So if you are a rank beginner, if you've never made a quilt before, or if you've only made one, um, I would suggest that you, if you do decide to use this pattern, that you have a reference book next to you to kind of give you those step-by-step directions you may still need for certain parts of the process. Um, it basically, it told you how to cut everything. It told you how to put together the two blocks. And then it didn't really give you any information from there. So <laughs> you were kind of on your own for finishing the rest of the process. Uh, for those of us who have as we shall say, been around that quilting block are, are, are a few times. Uh, it wasn't a problem at all. But if you are a, a rank beginner, you will want to um, check out things like how to put a border on, um, how to piece borders together, how to do the binding, all of that kind of stuff, because you will not find the instructions in this pattern. This is one of a line of patterns. Um, they're all five yard design. And again, the link is in the show notes to this episode. Um, I did find it very convenient. I bought the pattern and the fabrics um, back last summer when I visited the quilt foundry in Maumee, Ohio. The thing I like about the Five Yard Quilt Pattern series, the quilt designs themselves, are they're nice enough. They're not, you know, particularly earth shattering for me or spectacular, but they were very convenient in terms of, okay, I'm shopping. I don't really have a specific project in mind. Oh, well, I know all I have to do is get five yards of fabric that coordinate with each other in some way, and I'm good to go. I know what I can do with them. And so that was convenient in that respect. Um, you do need extra yardage for the backing, but everything else is included in that five yards, including, as I said, the binding. I don't know that all of the designs, I only have used one pattern out of the series. I can't speak to all of the patterns in the series, but I'm assuming that, you know, they're kind of all based the same way. Um, the other caution I would have on this actually had nothing to do with the pattern. It was with the fabric. I was using the Sausalito line, which I believe is from PNB Textiles. Um, I talked about that in my blog. There were, you know, two or three postings about this particular project. And so in one of them, I did specify the fabric itself. So you can go back in time and find that information. Um, it's a beautiful line. I love the colors. I love the, the different prints that are involved in it. Um, it's the 
Sausalito, I think, comes in two different colorways. The one that I have is the, it's kind of a spa blue and kind of some nice sand tones. So um, I'm actually considering this sort of a beachy theme for my niece because she's kind of a beachy girl, um, but it's more sophisticated. Um, I, I like the, the design and the fabric. The problem is the fabric itself, it is 100% cotton, but it's made to look linen-y, so it's got kind of a texture to it, which is gorgeous to look at. It was a Dickens to work with. It was kind of a loose weave, and um, or a looser weave than your traditional, you know, 100% cotton. And so I found I had real problems with it stretching, and I was not cutting on the bias. Pardon my dog. He's itching. <laughs> um, sorry about that. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> Okay, they're a little wound up today, sorry. Uh, let me pause and see if I can get her to settle down. Okay, well, we'll see how long that lasts. They are both now lying down and looking at me rather guiltily. Um, hopefully that guilt feeling will stay with them long enough to keep them settled down until I'm done recording. Anyway, the uh, fabric itself, it just, I wasn't cutting anything on the bias. The only triangles on there, you actually cut as squares and then sew onto the corners of the other block and flip them over um, so that they form a triangle but you don't cut them as triangles first. And so there was nothing being cut on the bias, and yet this was still the stretchiest stuff I had used. Now, I did see later, after I'd already kind of finished the quilt top, I saw the line um, on some website, and I don't remember now which one it was on, but it was referenced as home deck fabric rather than quilting fabric. Now, I bought it at a quilt shop. It was not labeled home deck fabric. It's not particularly heavy, so, you know, I'm not sure. I would, like, yeah, well, you could make curtains out of it, but, you know, it's not something that's going to have a a really long wear to it, I don't think. Um, I don't quite know why it was labeled more home deck than quilting fabric, but it, it's, again, it's gorgeous colors. I just found it really tricky to work with. I'd be interested if anybody else has used the Sausalito line, whether you had the same experience. Like when I was cutting strips, I had to square those strips up. You know how you, you cut your strips and you might cut one or two or three or four strips, and then you go and you kind of square up the edge of the fabric again, then you cut a few more strips. I was re-squaring the edge of that fabric every couple of strips, and typically I can get four to five strips before I have to re-square it. So it was that much kind of off. Um, and I was starching the hay out of the stuff <laughs> once I realized that was going on. I was really hitting it with the, the starch as I was pressing it to try to keep it as stiff as possible. So that was kind of my frustration. I am just uh, kind of praying when I handed it off to Andrea, my long arm quilter, I said, I whipped this thing together so fast, God knows if it's square. You know, <laughs> I just, I, I basically whipped it off my my sewing machine late Sunday night, threw it over a hanger and dropped it off Sunday Monday morning to where I didn't really take the time to kind of square it up, you know, the good kind of stuff I'd normally do. Um, but it'll be fine. It'll look fine. And she's going to do an all over pantograph with it that picks up on some theme out of the fabric print itself. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think my niece will like it. Um, we had my second design study group session last night and I didn't get all my homework done. Um, fortunately I was in good company. There were very few of us that had actually gotten all of our homework done. Um, we were supposed to have done four pieces, each one of them kind of an example of a different type of balance. And most of us had done um, maybe, well, a lot of people just kind of did them in EQ or drew them out, which is all perfectly permissible. The book itself says, you know, you really should do everything in fabric, but it's not, you don't have to have it finished. They, you know, they just suggest fusing or gluing stuff down. It is true, we found as we were going through the critique, 
for those of us, I had done one in fabric and the rest were in EQ. And when you're looking at EQ, um, especially because we couldn't, well, and one, I shouldn't just say EQ. Some of us did it in EQ. Other people had other um, Quilt Pro, Pro programs, I think was the other one that had. So, you know, anything where you're just kind of printing it out. For some reason, none of us had success in getting the fabric things to print. We were all having that issue. Um, so they were basically kind of designs on a white background. And it did make a difference when we were trying to figure out whether something looked balanced or not. You could look at the objects. But quite a bit of balance is based on the fabrics you use, the colors you use, the values and placements and that kind of thing. And so you could see the difference between just looking at somebody's EQ printout versus looking at their fabric rendition, what a difference that made. Um, so I really am going to try very hard in the future to make sure I do all of my um, pieces in fabric. I may small them down. Small them down? <laughs> what, however you would say that. I might make them smaller. Um, the Again, the book suggests you do every piece 20 by 20 inches. And so I did the one I did in fabric, I did 20 by 20. But that does make, um, first of all, you're using a lot of fabric for something that is kind of an experimental thing. Um, and secondly, it just it makes it kind of take longer as well. I think I probably could have done more if I was looking at doing it smaller. Maybe not. You know, it's kind of the pieces are the pieces regardless of what size I'm doing. Um, but I do. it did kind of make a difference to me when I'm looking at somebody's example in fabric versus um, just a printout or a drawing. So I'm going to try to do better at that in the future. We did decide our next meeting would have fallen two days after Christmas Day. And most there were several people who were going to be out of town and such. So we're actually not going to meet again until January, which means our next homework won't necessarily fall until between January and February. So that'll be good. We've got the holidays kind of off, which is nice. But man, we had a great time. At least I had a great time. I hope everybody else had a great time, too. Some of those folks do listen to this podcast. Um it was kind of fun just the first 10 minutes while we were waiting for everybody to show up. We just got talking about our childhoods and, you know, Thanksgiving traditions and stuff. And it was really fun. Um, you know, we did a lot of laughing and kind of getting to know each other. And, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and then the critique process was really interesting. You know, we're trying to learn how to do critique while we're doing the critique. And... Um, it was a lot of fun. It, I was enjoying, you know, kind of everybody pooling their ideas on different things. Oh, well, what if you were to do this? And what if you were to look at maybe moving that piece over there, or make that one bigger? And what was most interesting is how different of a perception we all had. Um, you know, we could all be looking at the same block and different things about it would jump out at us. So that, that much is kind of a learning process, too, that when I'm looking at, you know, for me, I'm thinking, well, when I'm looking at my own quilt and that one thing is sticking out at me like a sore thumb, I can pretty much be assured that most other people probably wouldn't see it. So <laughs> that was that was good. So I enjoyed that. Um, okay, the couple of announcements I want to make sure I get out there because they are sort of time-oriented. Um, most of them have already been out there in the public, but I wanted to make sure if you only listen to my podcast that you hear this as well. Uh, I had posted a thing on my blog, quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com, about a week ago, so maybe even longer than that, 10 days ago, um, with a paint chip challenge that I'm I'm doing with my guild. I'm participating in it. I'm not running it. And the, the idea was we chose random three paint chips out of a bowl at random. We couldn't pick them. We had to kind of close our eyes and just pull out three paint chips. And so I posted a picture of those three paint chips that I drew to my blog. And I asked other people, gee, what would you do with these colors if you had them? I already knew. I mean, it was like almost the minute I saw these colors. 
it, an image came into my head of what I wanted to do. And I've now gotten the fabrics and stuff to do that. Um, my deadline's not until I think March. <laughs> I don't really remember. I'll have to double check that, but I think the deadline's in March. Um, and we also have to use black and white. And I, I put all that information in the page chip. But anybody who leaves a comment on that particular blog entry, and I have the link, the direct link to that blog entry in the show notes to this episode, um, will get their name entered in a drawing. Now, originally, I had said you have to leave the comment before November 24th, which is tomorrow. So I think what I might do, since I had problems getting this podcast posted, is I'm going to extend that just a little bit, just another couple of days. Um so look in the blog entry and, and I'll put the correction in there. Um, also, I've got a second giveaway, which neither of these giveaways I really expected to do. They weren't planned. I was just writing and found myself promising a giveaway <laughs> as I was writing. So I've got two going at the same time. And the second one is on my Facebook page, the Quilting for the Rest of Us Facebook page. And that's because thanks to folks who spread the word, we pushed the number of likes on my Facebook page up and over a nice round number. So I'm celebrating that um, by doing another giveaway. If you leave a comment, um, I posted a particular question on a particular status update in Facebook. So if you go to the Quilting for the Rest of Us page in Facebook and just squirrel down the wall a little bit there, you'll find it. It's only two or three posts down at this point. Now, by the time you listen to this, it might be a little further down. And unfortunately, I I thought there used to be a way that I could link to a particular discussion in Facebook, but you don't seem to be able to do that now. Uh, but in any case, if you just go to that page, scroll down, you'll find it. And if you leave a comment on that status update on Facebook by Sunday, November 27th, you will also have your name entered in a giveaway. And I'm being very specific. I need you to leave those comments in those particular places for those particular giveaways, because otherwise I can't promise I will be able to keep track of the fact that you posted. If you left a comment on some other blog entry or email it to me or something, I'm not going to be able to track it as easily. So for those two giveaways, the paint chip challenge one, leave it right on that particular blog entry. And again, that link is in the show notes of this episode. And the other one, you have to leave the comment on that particular status update on the wall of the Quilting for the Rest of Us Facebook page. And you will find it if you look for it. Like I said, it's pretty obvious. And just as a quick reminder, this is the last quarter of the Stash Mystery Challenges for 2011. And I finally did update. <laughs> it took me a, you know, a couple of months to get around to it. But if you go to the show notes to this podcast and click on the tab that says Mystery Challenge or Stas Mystery Challenge or something like that, it's got the information for this quarter's challenge. And my guess is you may have something you've already done that fits the criteria and you could possibly have your name entered in a drawing and uh, be awarded a prize for doing what you had already done. So check that page out as well and see whether you can join in that fun. Um, and just giving you a quick heads up, I am going to be doing 2012 quilty resolutions again. If you remember, I did them for 2011 and uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm going to do the parameters are going to be a little bit different this year and I haven't fully, you know, figured out what I'm going to do, but I will announce that in early December. Don't start sending me your quilty resolutions yet. Wait until after I officially announce the drawing, because like I said, I am going to have some kind of guidelines for it and, um, 
will want you to fit into those guidelines. I do want to send a shout out to Jackie, who on her So Excited Quilts blog posted pictures of one of her 2011 Quilty Resolution finishes, and congratulations. Um, they were really cute wool. They're kind of little gift bags, but I think they're actually kind of ornaments. They they seemed kind of small. Um but it's hard to, it's always hard to tell, you know, how big something is when you're just looking at a picture of it. Uh, but they were really, really cute and she did a great job on them. So congratulations, Jackie. And I really appreciated reading that blog entry. It was fun. Um, and I may be checking out those kits myself. They, they were from a particular website, but if you, um, visit her blog, and I don't remember now if I posted that link, sorry. <laughs> but if you look for So Excited Quilts and look at her blog, um, and you'll see the link there for the the patterns or the kits that she was using for her wool gift bags. Um, and I did go to the website quickly, and they're very cute, and I may go back and buy something. Okay, that's all the Sandy update and announcements. My product review, and this one has been a long time coming, uh, Clearly Perfect Angles by New Leaf Stitches. And I... <laughs> This is a long time coming because listener Jennifer had recommended it to me months and months ago, and I bought it shortly after she recommended it, and then it sat in my um, my drawer because I had no real use, need to use it for several months. And so I just finally got the chance to use it on, um, it was actually on my niece's quilt, I believe is where I was using it, and I loved it. So thank you very much, Jennifer, for turning me on to that. Absolutely love it. And folks, this would be a great gift for the quilt makers in your life or for yourself. Ask for it for a stocking stuffer. It was really, you know, it's a great little gift. Um, this is, if you, if you're familiar with the Angler or the Angler 2, it's basically the same kind of tool. It's the same idea. It's just made out of a different material. And that made all the difference in the world. I've used the Angler 2. I think I inherited it from mom. I've used that for a little while and several times, and I liked it as a tool, but I hated the way it was made. Basically, what these are is they're kind of grids on an angle that you um, tape down or you adhere to your sewing machine machine surface lined up with your needle. And then when you're sewing on the diagonal, so like when you're doing um, half-square triangles that are squares that you sew on the diagonal and then, you know, cut them apart or whatever, you use this to help you keep that diagonal straight so you don't have to mark the diagonal before you sew it. Um, it works beautifully. I've used it, you know, back in the angler, when I was using the angler, I used it um, several times, loved it. The big difference is the angler or the angler two is made out of kind of a harder plastic. And so you have to cut out on both of them, this and clearly perfect angles. You line it up on your sewing machine, you stick your needle down through it and then make sure it's aligned properly. And then you cut out the little square where the feed dogs sit so that there's nothing between your needle and the feed dogs. Um, but you have to cut that out. It does not come pre-cut. With uh, the angler, because it's a harder plastic, that's kind of tricky to cut that out without ending up with kind of uh, stuff, sticky corners, or not sticky, um, corners that catch, pointy corners that catch the threads, catch the fabric. I was always having to kind of wedge something back out from under there. And um, you have to actually scotch tape it down. And I have my Janome, um, I have a Janome 6600, and it's a top, you know, it's a drop-in bobbin on the top. So for me to have to change the bobbin, I would have to untape that angler, kind of wedge it out of my way, um, get the bobbin out and change it, and then kind of tape it back down. And because it's a harder plastic, that whole process was just a real pain in the butt. Um, 
And like I said, because it had that hard edge to it, it was kind of always catching stray threads, and I would try to tape it down as best I could. It was just always something I was kind of monkeying with. The Clearly Perfect Angles, on the other hand, does exactly the same thing, but it's made out of more of an acrylic cling. Um, so you don't have to tape anything down. It just sticks to your sewing machine. You just make sure your sewing machine surface is clean, not dusty. You know, I had to wipe mine down a little bit when I did it. And... Um, I put it down and even cutting out the, the part around the feed dogs was really easy. I just got in there with, I have a, I have a, a thread cutter that looks kind of a little bit like an X-Acto knife. They don't make them any, anymore, unfortunately. I love mine. It was one that Carol Doak, um, I think she even has it in her video. If you have Carol Doak's uh, paper piecing video, she uses it. And so I had bought one years ago. They don't make them anymore. Anyway, kind of shaped like an X-Acto knife. And so I was able to just, when this thing was actually on my sewing machine, reach in and kind of trim that out. Um, and it trimmed like butter. I mean, it <laughs> went really fast, really easy. I don't have any little pieces that stick up and catch the threads of the fabrics or anything. And then, like I said, the whole thing is acrylic clean. So when I had to um, change my bobbin in the middle of the project, I just sort of actually kind of rolled the thing up a little bit out of my way, changed my bobbin, and then rolled it back down, and it just automatically adhered again. So it was much, much easier to use. I love it. It is, again, Clearly Perfect Angles by New Leaf Stitches. I know I haven't spent a lot of time explaining what it actually does, but I encourage you to check out um, their website. I do have a link to it in the show notes of this episode. So check that out and look for, you know, see if that's something you might want to give somebody that you know, even yourself. All right, um, a while back, Pam had been in touch with me in some way, um, me and a couple of other folks, and I don't remember now whether it was Twitter or a comment on a blog or whether she emailed me or whether it was a psychic transmission. <laughs> I don't really know now how she had been in touch with me, but she had suggested that um, it might be helpful if we posted kind of our book recommendations or book list uh, to suggest for other people as gifts or something along those lines. And I had already been kind of thinking about doing something. Um on my favorite reads of 2011. And so her uh, tweet or comment or email or psychic transmission <laughs> was just sort of the thing that said to me, okay, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go ahead and do this. So here's my list of fave reads of 2011. And mind you, these are not books that were published in 2011. I just happened to read them in 2011. Okay, I just got interrupted by the phone. I hope I remember where I was. I think I was talking about my favorites of 2011. These are not books that were published in 2011. I just read them in 2011. And basically, when I came up with this list, all I did was kind of went by which ones did I really remember reading without having to refer back to my Goodreads list. Now, I did go back to my Goodreads list at one point, um, but it was kind of more which ones really still stood out in my mind. So this is kind of my list. They are all books I read in 2011 with one exception because there's one book I want to make sure everybody in the world reads because it's the best book ever. Okay, and I also divided them into categories. So the first category I'm going to deal with is nonfiction. And the book I want to make sure everybody in the world reads is called Half the Sky, Turning Oppression into Opportunity for Women Worldwide. And it's by Nicholas Kristof and Cheryl Wu Dunn. Nicholas Kristof is a New York Times um, editorial reporter. I don't really know editorial uh, person. And Cheryl Wu Dunn is his wife, who also has uh, really serious street cred herself. And the two of them wrote this, uh, co-wrote this book, and it's on global women's issues. It's very well written. It's very easy to read. It's not, um, 
it's it's easy to read in terms of the writing style is very readable. It's not the easiest book to read in terms of subject matter, but it's also not completely depressing. So it takes different um, women's issues such as maternal health, obstetric fistula, um, war crimes, um, poverty, economic empowerment, etc. And it talks about the problems, but then it does also every um, chapter, every issue also highlights somebody who is deeply engaged in that field. So it's both the issue itself, but also the signs of hope. Um, but it's definitely a call to action. And I read this book when it was first published, which I, which I think was uh, fall of 2009. And I immediately recommended it to my supervisor and our national president for our organization. They both read it. And then that turned into an entire, our entire board, um, which is 50 some odd people, our entire national board read it as a book discussion, and then that really had significant impact on our national ministries that we do now, our our women's ministries. Um, and everybody I know, even people not in my organization, other people that have commented to me about, oh, have you seen this book? It's really a life-changing, eye-opening book. So I really highly recommend that everybody read Half the Sky, uh, Turning Oppression into Opportunity for Women Worldwide by Nicholas Kristof and Cheryl Wudun even though I did not read that one in 2011. And by the way, the links, the titles, the authors, and the links to all of these books are in the show notes to this episode. So don't worry so much about, you know, trying to madly write them down as I'm talking. Okay, for 2011, my first place read in nonfiction was The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Sklu. I absolutely loves this book. When I tell you what it's about, it's going to sound dry as, dry as dust, but it really was not. So Henrietta Lacks um, was an African-American woman, and I think now it's, I read this book early in 2011, so I'm starting to get a little faded on details, but um, she was, she died from cancer, I think in 1940-ish, early 40s. Um, and in the process of her being in the hospital and the treatments, they took some cancer cells from her, questionable as to whether she knew this was actually happening or if she understood the whole process or whatever. But those cancer cells then went on to be fundamental tools for research for decades afterwards. And the number of um, scientific advancements and everything that is based on those cells that came from her in 1940 is just phenomenal. And so this book looks at that from a science perspective, but it also looks at it from a human perspective. Um, Sklu actually goes in and, and looks at who was Henrietta Lacks? What was her story? Who were her children? Who was her husband? How did this then impact their family in the, the generation sense? Kind of where are they now sort of thing. It was just really interesting. And Sklut was a great writer. And this was her first book. I, well, so far, I think it's her only book. Um, it was just really, really well done. And it's a story that kind of stuck with me afterwards. And I hadn't really heard about any of the science, you know, behind this before. It was sounded kind of vaguely familiar, but I had heard the book. I think it was a book club pick back when I was trying to do a book club. Um, it wasn't a, a human being book. Well, <laughs> Was there were human beings in the book club? It was online. It was not face to face. Um, it was an online book club that I was trying to participate in. That was the only book I actually read, and then I just decided I wanted to do my own thing. But I'm really glad that I did read that one book. I really, really enjoyed it. So that was that's my first place nonfiction pick of 2011: The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Sklut. 
honorable mentions. These are books that I also really enjoyed, but they didn't stand out for me quite as much as the first place. But honorable mention is At Home, A Short History of Private Life by Bill Bryson. And um, I love Bill Bryson. I've read, I think, pretty much all of his books. Maybe there's one or two still out there I haven't read. Uh, but I enjoy his writing style. Some books better than others. I think for me, my favorite Bill Bryson book of all time is still A Walk in the Woods. Um, that's his tale of him trying to hike the Appalachian Trail. Um, at home, what he does is he takes, he now lives in England. Um, no, actually, now he lives back in the U.S., but for a while he lived in England. And um, this was he and his wife had just bought a house, an old house. And he kind of started looking at each room of this house and then studied history and kind of cultural um, cultural things that kind of play into that house. It, again, I'm, it's hard for me to describe the book in a way that might make you actually want to read it, but I really, really enjoyed it. If you have never read Bill Bryson, he's got a very dry wit and very um, kind of self-effacing wit, uh, but it's not laugh-out-loud funny kind of stuff. Sometimes I, you know, actually was laughing out loud, but for the most part, it's just kind of an appreciative smile, you know, as I'm reading. Uh, but I really enjoyed that book, At Home, A Short History of Private Life by Bill Bryson. And my second honorable mention in this category is Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. Um, I really love 30 Rock. I know she had, you know, a big career on, on uh, Saturday Night Live. I'm not a huge Saturday Night Live fan. I feel like you have to watch a whole lot of really boring stuff to get to the good bits. And I don't always have the patience to get to the good bits. So I tend to maybe watch the, you know, best of shows. But um, I do really like 30 Rock and I love Tina Fey on that show. And of course, she's a writer for the show. She created the show. Uh, and her book was really enjoyable, Bossy Pants. Um so those are my two honorable mentions. Again, links for all of these in the show notes. I am currently reading a nonfiction book that may, you know, end up, I think it would be an honorable mention. I don't think it would knock The Emerald or Life of Henrietta Lacks out of my first place position, but I'm in the middle of reading it, so I can't fully review it yet, but it does show a lot of promise. It's called The Psychopath Test by John Ronson. Um, and that one's got a link in the uh, show notes, the episode two. So I'm not going to say any more about it. You can follow the link and see what it's about. But so far, I'm really enjoying it. I'm about, mm, about a third of the way through. Okay, fiction. Um, first place in the fiction category has got to go to the Hunger Games trilogy. Uh, these, this was a series of books that was reviewed by Tanisha on her Crafty Garden Mom podcast, and that's where I first heard about them. Um, and so I downloaded the first one just to check it out onto my Kindle. And I happened to have a weekend, this was over the summer, a weekend where I didn't have anything going on. So I think part of why I loved these books so much was because it was a rare weekend that I could just do nothing but read. And that's really pretty much all I did that weekend. So I read the first one, uh, loved it so much that the second I got to the end of it, I immediately downloaded the second and third books right away. And I plowed through them all in pretty much a weekend, maybe a little bit longer than that. And then I recommended them to my sister and her kids. And then, you know, also to my daughter, she's going to read them probably over Christmas break. Uh, they're just, they're a young adult fantasy series. And I've actually, I've read a lot of young adult authors that I really enjoy, our own Frances Adowell, one of them. So I, I've read a lot of young adult authors that I do really enjoy, but, you know, obviously not all. And I have read not a lot of fantasy lately. I used to be a huge fantasy reader back in high school and college. Um, 
and my young adult years, but after a while, it just started all sounding the same, and I got tired of so much derivative stuff. And so I basically, other than a couple of authors that I still will periodically read, I haven't read fantasy, you know, really for a couple of decades, probably, maybe not quite that long, you know, maybe 10 years, 15 years, other than Terry Pratchett. But I don't know that I really consider him fantasy. He is kind of, anyway. Um, but in any case, these really kind of stood out for me. They were very well done. There's, there is still a little bit that's a little derivative about them, but not, not so much that it really bugged me. And her characters were really good and her writing was really good. So I really enjoyed the Hunger Games trilogy. Uh, so I would, those were my first place, um, pick. And again, that's the Hunger Games trilogy by Suzanne Collins. The three books are named The Hunger Games, Mockingjay, and Catching Fire. My honorable mention book in this category was also one reviewed by Tanisha. That's where I first heard about it. And this one was Molokai by Alan Brennert. And it's about a, um, it's actually about a nonfiction event, a thing that actually happened, but it is a fiction book. And Molokai is about leper colony, uh, a leper colony off the uh, coast, in, on an island off the coast of Hawaii. Sorry, I don't remember offhand um, the time period. I believe it was kind of from the very late 1800s through, I think, about 1950s or so. Um, and I really enjoyed the book. Well, let me qualify that. The reason this didn't make first place, I really enjoyed the first two thirds of the book, really didn't like the last third. It's one of those books that I really felt like could, probably could have ended about a hundred pages earlier than it did. Um, I felt like it tried to tie up a few things a little bit too neatly that I didn't really need to have tied up neatly. You know, I kind of would have preferred to leave some things unsettled. Um, but that being said, I did really like the first couple of first two thirds of the book. And um, it made me learn about some things I had never really known about. And then I went on and did a little more research into the actual history behind it. So I, I do think that Molokai deserves an honorable mention. And again, that's by Alan Brennert. Um, quilt fiction. I decided to make a different category with quilt fiction. And this was to, um, these are books that kind of use quilts as uh, quilts, quilt people, quilt, quilt people, quilt makers, uh, quilt shops as kind of their hook, um, for other story. And I struggle with these a little bit because like any of these kinds of books, and there's some for knitters and there's some for scrap quilters and or scrap bookers, and there's some for, um, you know, cooking, there's recipe ones and dog lovers and cat lovers and, you know, the genre, those are all those kinds of genre. And I struggle a lot because there's a lot of times when the books just are not good. <laughs> and I feel like the only reason they have a quilt in there is to try to get somebody to buy the book because it's got a quilt on the cover. Um, so that kind of bothers me. But this year, but there are some that, uh, out there that are very good. It's just this year, the ones that I read, these are the ones that, um, kind of made it into this list. First place goes to A Thread of Truth, which is the second book in the Cobbled Quilt series by Marie Bostwick. And she's got four in the series. And basically, I liked all four books. Some of them I liked better than others. Um, I will, you know, if she continues to write books in the series, I'll continue to read them. They're not particularly earth shattering, um, but they're a good read, you know, especially a good summer read. Now, A Thread of Truth did stand out for me, um, particularly because it deals with the issue of domestic violence. And I was so impressed with the way that Bostwick dealt with that as a storyline um, that it really made the whole book, it elevated the whole book for me. 
um, in kind of an important way. It made it more than just sort of a nice summer read for me, and I really appreciated that. So first place goes to A Thread of Truth, Cobbled Quilt number two. Honorable mention, I, I, again, I struggled with this because there were none that really stood out for me, but I did decide to name the Someday Quilts series by Claire O'Donohue. Um, and there's, uh, again, a few, three or four books in the series so far. I don't know if she's going to continue writing them because she has now come out with a non-quilt related series that I actually liked a whole lot better. So if you're looking to just read a book that's about quilt shops and quilters, then look for the Someday Quilts series by Claire O'Donohue. Um, but the book that I actually recommend more by Claire O'Donohue is the first one in her next, in another mystery series. And I, I believe the main character is Kate Conaway or Kate Conway. And the first book is named Missing Persons. That book I really enjoyed. I thought it was much better written. Um, I liked the characters a lot more. They were much more um, believable. It still had her same feel to it, but it just, it, to me, it was a much better book overall. But again, honorable mention, Someday Quilt series by Claire O'Donohue, but I recommend higher her non-quilt related mystery, Missing Persons. Um, in the realm of quilt books themselves, I've done a few reviews uh, lately of quilt books, and you, so you kind of know which ones I've been reading lately. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I will say if I look at which books kind of stand out in my mind that I've bought in 2011, they would have to be the two Barbara Brackman books, Making History and American Printed Fabrics. Um, it would also be the Lintot Girls books, and I've bought several of them this year, and I like them all. And also the two Schnibbles books by Carrie Nelson. Um, the first one is Schnibbles Dimes 2, and then Another Bite of Schnibbles that just came out. And I liked those two books too. And again, you've heard me talk about Carrie Nelson. Love her writing style. So those, and again, all those links are in the show notes of this episode. So I know I'm kind of whipping through those pretty quick, but I don't want to say much more about them because I've already talked a lot about those books. So those are my top reads of 2011. Um, I am, again, can't say enough about Goodreads because between Goodreads and Tanisha, <laughs> I have really been able to find a lot of books I wouldn't have normally stumbled across to read, and I'm really enjoying that. So what other gifts would I give a quilt maker? Here was just some things I thought I might share with you because some ideas I've been thinking about. Um if that quilt maker was somebody I knew really, really well and really wanted to spend time with, um, you know, a friend or loved one or relative who was a quilt maker, I would absolutely give the gift of time as in something like maybe the gift of a shop hop. You know, choose an afternoon, create a list of locations, you do the driving, you treat her to lunch. Um, I would suggest she's probably on her own for her purchases, unless you really, really, really love her. Uh, but, you know, that's one thing I come out of my relationship with my mom and the fact that she's now gone. You know, she and I did used to give each other quilty gifts. You know, we gave each other fabric, although we tended to actually use fabric more as wrapping paper. <laughs> so whatever else would be gifted would be gifted also with fabric as wrapping paper. Um, and we gave each other the occasional gadget and the occasional books. Although I didn't give her too many gadgets and books because I swear she already owned everyone possible. Um, but, you know, again, we gave each other things, but the things, what sticks with me now more today, I do still have some fabric on my shelf that reminds me of my mom. But for the most part, it's those memories. It's those times we spent together. And so I'd really strongly encourage you that if you have somebody that you really love spending time with, give that to them as your gift. Take them out for a day. 
um, take a class together, pay, you know, pay for her to take a class with you, go on a quilt retreat together, whatever you need to do to kind of create those memories that will stick with you. Um, you know, that, that's just, I, well, I won't say any more about that. You know where I'm going with that. <laughs> so that would be my, my first suggestion. If it was somebody I knew well, but maybe couldn't spend time with, for example, you know, people that live just too far away or, or whatever, um, in that case, maybe you would do something that would be, you know, find out what their favorite quilt shop is near them and either get them, make an arrangement with that quilt shop uh, to create sort of a gift basket for them or um, buy them a class at that quilt shop or something like that, that lets that person know that you're really thinking about them specifically um, but you can't be there with them, for example. Or maybe you can take similar classes in your own hometowns and then Skype each other afterwards or whatever to share that experience. If it was somebody I kind of knew but really had sort of a spending limit, so we're talking here a little bit less expensive than the suggestions I just made, if she's a gadget girl, my biggest recommendation would be the Fabricalc. And I believe... um I think Pam had just mentioned this on one of her recent episodes, and I really do. I use mine all the time. Um, I really enjoy it. They're not that expensive. At least I didn't think it was that expensive for what I used it for how much I use it. And you can, generally speaking, you can find them at Joann's and use a coupon on it. So it's even less expensive. Um, and I do have a link to the Fabricalc again in my uh, show notes. If she's a book girl, I would get a book, but that's always a little tricky because you don't know what she might already have. Um, but, you know, you could consider books. And again, I've done a lot of book reviews, so you've got some ideas there. Um, fabric, again, yes, you can always give fabric. It's always appreciated. Even if it's something she already has, she can always use more. That's not a big deal. If you do decide to do something like give a charm pack or, you know, something like that, the kind of smaller stocking stuffer size, remember what I've been venting about quite a bit lately, that most charm pack patterns do require more than one charm pack, so you might want to give them two or a couple, uh, or three or four. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind for fabric. Now, secret Santas for guilds. A lot of guilds do secret Santas, mine included, and sometimes that's a little tricky. There's always a spending limit. Um, some guilds have actual rules I mean, about homemade versus not homemade, that kind of thing. Um, I would say here's some ideas of things I've run across and I would think would make perfect Secret Santa gifts. First of all, mug rugs. Those are always cute. They're all the rage right now. It's a way to make a nice small size um, kind of a quilt project, but something you can finish quickly. So mug rug is always a good idea. Um, pin cushions. I found a huge list of potential patterns and links to other patterns and stuff on this one website that I've posted a link to in the podcast show notes. Uh, the, the website itself is Victoriana Quilt Designs, but the link goes directly to this whole page of pincushion patterns. So those are cute. Um, sachets are always nice. And I, I've posted the link again to that same sachet pattern I posted once before from Quilting in the Rain uh, blog. And I just actually whipped up a sachet last night to give to my friend, my BFF BQF Kate for her birthday when I saw her at Design Study Group. Her birthday was last week and I had some lavender I had grown in my garden last summer. So it's actually completely homemade. So um, sachets are very easy and quick to put together and people do appreciate them. She was very excited to have that. Spiced coasters is a really nice twist on the sachet idea. A spiced coaster is a small quilted, you have to kind of keep it flat, but this is something that you're going to put, use as a coaster. 
you put your hot tea or hot coffee on it. But when you make this coaster, you put spices in it so that when they put their hot mug on it, you can smell the spices. It's a wonderful thing. I've made them before. Um, and they're a nice little gift to give to somebody. You know, sure, eventually those spices lose their oomph, but then they've still got a pretty coaster, so who cares? <laughs> so that's a neat little idea as well for Secret Santas. Um, so that's all I'm going to say. That's going to be my episode for this week, apparently take two. And uh, I will try to post again next week. I should be able to. I'm not traveling again for a long time. So, um, and I think good news, I think Jay and I are narrowing in on being able to do another interview this weekend. So I should be able to get back to the design series in my next episode, I hope, if that all works out. Um, so here we go. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that this one actually does post. Uh, the last one, it was fine when I checked it. And then when I uploaded it, something happened and it blipped it out and I could never recover it. So I've had to record it a second time. So I'm really hoping this one goes better. Um, Hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Now that I've got this done, I need to get back to baking. Um, house smells wonderful. Hope your houses smell wonderful too. And until next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. <laughs>